Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Velocity Church Podcast. We love to hear about life change in our church. So if you have a story about how Velocity has made a difference in your life, send us an email at amen at findvelocity.org. Now sit back and enjoy today's message. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to Revelation chapter 2 is where we're going to get started. And what I'm going to do over the next five weeks, starting with today, is preach through our culture points. Our culture points are those things that make that phrase a reality, where heaven meets earth. Our culture is the thing that helps us understand how to live this out. It's the practical action steps that lets us recognize and realize that heaven is real and people are worth it. And as we get into this today in Revelation chapter two, you also might wanna find little white space to jot some things down because I asked the team to just give me a few minutes to talk about this and not talk about it from the platform or the video announcement. I wanted to talk to you about it because it's that important. Every seat in here should have had one of these little books on it. And uh, this is really an invitation. Last year, I had talked about how I believe God was gonna move in our church this year. We're making plans to get a permanent home and You guys gave an amazing offering at the end of last year. You gave over $90,000. And we used that money. We used 10,000 of it. Yeah, that's great. 10,000 of that went to go make a difference in the Dominican Republic where we have a care point. We invested it there and not just in the care point, but into the work of God happening there through churches. And we actually have a missions team taking off to go there in just a few weeks and so exciting to see all the things happening there. We also took 10,000 of that and invested it with our city. And we are partnering with our city to put some bus benches in the places where it's needed most. And that's happening right now. Uh, in fact, all of that should be done uh, by the end of July. I think all of it's gonna be completed. So we're working on that. And then 70,000 of that was for the next step that we wanna take. And that next step for us as a church is something called Visioneering, that's what this book is about. It shares my heart for what God wants to do in our church as we make plans to get a building, to make this house a home. But more than that, it's an invitation to be a part of something. And I wanna invite everybody here to be a part of our Visioneering Night, June 9th. Everybody got a book because everybody is invited. You are gonna need to RSVP so we know how many people to accommodate and all of that. But on June 9th, I'm gonna talk about what it means to be part of visioneering. And visioneering is really building the vision and accelerating the mission of velocity by giving above and beyond your normal tithes and offerings. And if you look through the book, you're gonna learn about that. And as you get to the back of the book, you're gonna see that I'm asking you to make a commitment. And some of you are gonna look at the commitment and you're gonna immediately write yourselves off and say that it's not for you. But I wanna say just a couple things. First of all, that card is not for today. You need to keep that until June 9th. And second, don't write yourself off before you've even had an opportunity to engage with God. So some of you count yourselves out before you've even allowed God to work in your life. What I'm going to ask you to do is to take this book and set it on your coffee table or set it on your nightstand or put it on your fridge. And every time you see it, begin to pray about it and ask, God, is this something you're wanting me to be a part of? God, is this something that you're wanting me to participate in? And if it is, then you can ask God, God, how can I do this? God, show me how. I wanna share just a couple stories with you. 
we had Andrew Denton here a few weeks ago and he's from Hillsong Church and he talked about kingdom builders. That's what they do. It'd be like our visioneering. And after he preached his message, there was uh, some people in our church that went up to the campus pastor and just said that they were so inspired, so moved. They knew God was calling them to be a part of it, but they didn't know how. And they wrote out a check. They handed the campus pastor a check. It was for $5,000 and it was dated for the end of the year. They just said, we know this is gonna be a stretch for us, but we're asking that you would pray and believe God with us that we're gonna be able to do this. God's put on our heart to do this. There's another couple in our church, the only reason I know this is because they wrote me and, and told me about it, but they, they gave significantly in our offering last year and, and they didn't know if they'd be able to do the same thing this year because it was a significant amount and it was a stretch for them. And, and yet they knew when Andrew Denton was here that God was speaking something to them about being a part of this. Whatever, we didn't have a name for it yet, hadn't formulated it yet, but to be a part of this, of building God's great church, building God's kingdom, engineering the vision, making it happen. And they prayed, they said, God, we know you're calling us to do this, but we don't know how. And later that same week, but they just said, God, we're obedient, we're gonna do it. Later that same week, they received a $5,000 check from, they didn't expect it uh, from, was completely unexpected. It said gift on the memo line. And all I'm trying to say is that when you write yourself off saying that this isn't for me, that I can't do it, you miss out on what God wants to do in your life. And if you will just engage with the faith, God will engage with you. That's what I'm trying to say. So pray about it. June 9th is when it's gonna be. I'll be sharing some amazing things about our church. And you know, that idea of engaging in faith and God will engage with you is exactly what's happening in Revelation chapter two. To get into our main scripture, God is speaking to a church and this is the message he gives to the church. In Revelation two, starting in verse two, he says, I know all that you've done for me. You've worked hard and persevered. I know that you don't tolerate evil. You've tested those who claim to be apostles and proved they are not, for they were imposters. I also know how you have bravely endured trials and persecutions because of my name. Yet you've not become discouraged. So he's praising them. He, he's affirming them. He's commending them. And then in verse four, it takes a little turn. He says, but I have this against you. You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. Think about how far you've fallen. Repent and do the works of love you did at first. I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place of influence if you do not repent. So God is speaking to this church. John is having this vision and he says, I see you, I love you, I see how you've endured, I see how you've progressed, but there's something you gotta know. You gotta repent. You've lost your passion, your passionate love for me. And I wanna use this scripture to talk to you today about our first culture point. And if you know it, you can say it. Our first culture point, which is, it is a good thing I am preaching about this today, which is we exude passion. We exude passion, passion matters. And I'm calling this message, if you're taking notes, it's in, it's about atten intentional response, intentional response. 
passionate people take notes in church. So if you see somebody who's not taking notes, say, where's your passion? Where's your passion? You've lost your passion. Well, I want to get into this. It's always my custom to pray before we get into God's word. Would you uh, bow your head and pray with me? I know I need God's help. I believe you probably do too. God, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you, God, that every time we open up your word, you speak. I'm asking God that you do it again. Lord, we need to hear from you. We don't need my opinions, my ideas, my philosophies. God, we need your word and your perspective on our life. Thank you, God, that you show up. You know exactly the places in our heart to speak to and that you'll do it when we engage with you, God. So I thank you for it. We believe it. Everybody who agrees with that can say in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, how many parents do we have in the room? Can I just see all the parents? Show me where you're at. Parents, that's great. Hey, uh, parents, how many of you love being a parent? Isn't it amazing? Being, like, there's a lot less hands went up on that one. <laughs> how many of you love being a parent? Can I just see your hands? Being a parent. It, it's, it's great being a parent. Um, you know, we just celebrated Mother's Day. Did you guys love Mother's Day? Was that fun? Had a good time last week. I, uh, I was kind of nervous about Mother's Day. Of course, we got Father's Day coming up. But I was nervous about Mother's Day because we never done anything like that before, you know, had a comedian, and I was really concerned, like, man, are people going to laugh? Are they going to engage with this? Are they going to respond to this? Are they going to receive it? Are they going to think, you know, we're heretical? I didn't really know what people were going to think. So afterwards, I was asking people, I was, I was like, hey, you know, did you, did you enjoy Sunday? Did you laugh? You know, did you get something out of it? You know, was that, I know it was a little different, and somebody came up to me like, well, you know, it's not completely different. I mean, you're sort of like a comedian, so... <laughs> I don't know if that was a compliment or a slam, but I just smiled and was like, oh, thank you, and I guess. <laughs> I'm not sure how to take that. But um, I'm talking about parenting. Parenting is different, right? Parenting is different. Uh, in fact, parenting is the thing that makes me and Marissa different because Marissa grew up wanting to be, like she dreamed of being a mom. She dreamed of being a parent. I didn't grow up dreaming to be a dad. Like, I mean, when I was a kid, I dreamed of being a spy. That's, that's what I wanted to be. I wanted to work for the CIA, James Bond, Mission of all that stuff. I wanted to be a spy later uh, when I realized that that probably wasn't going to happen. I, I dreamed of being an entrepreneur. And then later, I dreamed of being a pastor. But I, I never dreamed of being a dad. In fact, sometimes I hear people say, like, oh, I've always wanted to be a dad or I've always wanted to be a mom. And then I kind of feel bad. Like, I feel bad for my kids because I'm like, I didn't even really start enjoying them until they were three years old. Um, <laughs> is that too real for some of you? That is the truth. But uh, the, my, my point in saying that is that now, it's my greatest joy in life is being a dad. Most of the time. <laughs> I mean, being a dad is the thing that really I look forward to. It's the thing that's the most significant. It's not, you know, having a great Sunday that makes my day. It's not, you know, making some big accomplishment, setting a new record, hitting a new, like, that's not the thing. The, the thing that brings me joy, the thing that I really love is spending time with my son Oliver and teaching him how to make music on GarageBand or watching my oldest son, Reese, shoot and edit video, and watching all my kids, you know, step into and grow into the people that God has called them to be. Like, that is the stuff that makes me come alive. That's the stuff I enjoy. But I never 
wanted to be a dad. It's not like I didn't want to be a dad. It's just I wasn't passionate about it. I wasn't passionate about it until I started to do it. And that is my entire sermon in a sentence, is that you can't start with passion. You have to start with purpose. I love being a dad. But the joy of being a dad didn't start with joy. It started with a job. It didn't start out of a want. It started out of work. And this is so critical for us to understand because the advice most of us are given, and maybe it's significant that I would preach this on graduation weekend for so many, is that the advice most of us are given is to pursue your passions. Pursue your passions. And I think that's horrible advice. It's self-destructive advice. And we use that framework to never really engage with where God has placed us and positioned us because, well, I'm just not that passionate about it. We think the problem with the situation where we're at is that we're in a place where we're not pursuing our passions or we're doing something that we don't have any real passion for and we think, if I could just get in a place where I'm pursuing my passion, if I could just get in that place where I'm doing that thing that I love, if I could just do that, that would be the game changer. We even preach the Bible like this. Psalm 37, four, we say, you know, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desires of your heart. Like if you just do the right thing, you do it the right way, then God is gonna make those dreams in your heart come to pass. God is gonna be your genie in a bottle and he is gonna give you everything in your heart that you want. I believe God places dreams in our heart. I believe that. But the problem with this is I've noticed in scripture that the people God used in significant ways weren't people who were following their passions. They were people who were fulfilling a purpose. And sometimes the purpose was not even that significant. Sometimes the purpose was not even that noteworthy. Sometimes the purpose kind of seemed mundane. You know, there's this guy, David, in the Bible. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. David, King David, the greatest king that Israel ever knew, most quoted person, referenced person in the New Testament. Takes up a lot of space in the Old Testament. King David, you know when he was anointed to be king, he wasn't practicing his king wave. He wasn't like, you know, going in for a crown fitting. When God spoke to Samuel, the prophet, and said, I want you to go anoint Jesse's son, he didn't even mention his name. Jesse brings in all his sons but David because he seemed so insignificant. But yet David was fulfilling a purpose. He was being faithful in the field, tending the sheep. And God said, that's the one I want. There's this other guy in the Bible, Elisha. You might have heard of him. Sometimes we get him confused with Elijah. Elijah was the first prophet, really one of the most famous prophets, the greatest prophet that Israel knew at the time. And that's kind of like, God's cool like that. He's like, hey, I'm gonna have your successor be named Elisha. Just make the whole business transfer a lot easier. 
But he says, for Elisha, this is the guy I want you to anoint, but he wasn't going to prophet school. Elisha was not pursuing his passion of prophesying. Now, you know what Elisha was doing? He was plowing the ground behind 12 yoke of oxen. And God said, Elijah, that's the guy I want you to go get. That's the guy that's equipped for service. How about Peter? Peter is like the most famous disciple, the most famous apostle of Jesus. Peter is that guy who's outspoken. His name gets mentioned a lot. He wrote a couple books in the New Testament. Peter's the guy that God chose to preach the first gospel message on the day of Pentecost. 3,000 people accepted the good news of the gospel, the message of Jesus. That was Peter. And yet, you know what Peter was doing? He wasn't studying to be a preacher. He wasn't in rabbi school. Peter was on a boat fishing, and he wasn't even that good at it. But he was trying. And Jesus said, Peter, I want you to follow me. See, the, the people that God uses in significant ways aren't people who are following a passion. They're people who are fulfilling a purpose. And lots of times we've thought that fulfilling our calling means that we're following a passion. But being called is not just to be called into something. It's often being called out of something that you were already doing. So when we say, oh, I just got to find my passion. I just got to find my thing that makes my heart come alive. I just got to find this thing that, that will always make me excited to do it. That's going to solve my problems. And then we end up disappointed. Maybe that's why one version of Psalm 37.4 puts it this way. Do what the Lord wants, and he'll give you your heart's desire. In other words, if you would just do what God has asked you to do in the place where you're at right now, God will give your heart new desires. The, the thing that you thought was going to fulfill you isn't going to be that thing that fulfills you anymore. He's going to put some new desires in your heart. He's going to give you something that is fulfilling. But it starts with doing what the Lord wants. Not following your passion, but following your purpose and your passions follow. That's why I think so many of us get frustrated because we have misplaced passions. We've got a lot of passion, but it's in the wrong place. And we're frustrated because we've confused our passion with our preference. What we think is passion is really just a preference. Well, no wonder we get frustrated when our preferences aren't met. And we put too much pressure on our passion to be fulfilled, prioritizing our preference over our purpose. And it becomes a problem for the place God has called us to serve. Because passion doesn't show up with status. Passion shows up with service. Passion, passion shows up with a purpose, which brings us to Revelation 2. Do you guys think I'd forgot about it? Let's get back to it. Jesus is speaking to the church. He says, hey, you had something when you were small that you've lost now that you're significant. And what might be helpful for you to know 
is a little bit of the background on this because Revelation is a written account of a vision that John the disciple, not John the Baptist, that John had while he was exiled on the Isle of Patmos. So it's this supernatural visual experience. John is seeing and hearing Jesus speak to the church and you might think because it's all supernatural and there's all these things that happen in Revelation that Ephesus is an imaginary place. But Ephesus was a real place. There was a real church at Ephesus. There were real people there with real histories. And God is speaking to this church at Ephesus and he says, I see what you've done. I see what you've accomplished. I see how you've progressed, but there's something that you've lost. You've lost your passion. Now it's interesting about that church at Ephesus because Paul, the apostle Paul, he started the church at Ephesus. You might know the story. It's an interesting story about how they started because when the church started, it didn't start in the way that you might expect. See, Paul was on his missionary journey. He was preaching the gospel in different places. He had shared the good news of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. People were coming to Christ. He had planted churches. When he got to Ephesus, though, he stayed there two years. And when he got to Ephesus, he encountered some disciples of John the Baptist. He said to them, hey, have you heard of the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? These guys said, we didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. He said, well, how did you get baptized in? He said, we've only received John's baptism. So Paul, he laid his hands on them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit. They started speaking in tongues, but they didn't just start speaking in tongues. They started speaking with passion. They started proclaiming the good news of Jesus. And they did this for a period of time and multitudes of people started coming to Christ over the next several months. Well, this went on for a while and it started to cause some problems because the religion of the day saw this as a hostile takeover of their economy. They were selling false idols and they were, had things that they were doing with temple worship and they said, hey, if we don't get this under control, they're gonna put us out of business. And so these business owners who were selling these idols, they ra rallied up the people and they started a mob and they tried to drive Paul out of town. But when you have passion, you can't be stopped. Paul just kept preaching. But it's interesting to me how this church started because when they started, they didn't have a lot of theological knowledge, didn't even know that there was a Holy Spirit. When they started, they didn't have a lot of people just Paul and his group and these disciples of John the Baptist. When they started, they didn't have the support of the government. People were trying to shut them down and shut them up. But what they did have was passion. And it kind of made me think about how we started this church. Because every once in a while, it's good to contrast where you're at with the passion you had when you started. Some of you don't know how we started this church. You come now, man, it's easy. It's easy to be a part because, man, there's such a great team here and you can feel loved on and great worship team and lights and all, but we didn't start with any of that stuff. Man, when we started, we, we didn't have a lot, but we had passion. When, when, when we started this place, I remember we started meeting at night and we started in this very facility 
And to rent this facility at the time, a number of years ago, it was $500 a weekend. It's way more than that now. And we, we, we started in here, and I remember that first month, it was $500 a weekend, and the offerings that came in didn't even total $2,000. And I'm thinking, Lord Jesus, I thought you called me here. If this doesn't change, uh, I don't know. Uh, this is not going the direction I thought. And so we were strategizing and we thought of different ways to do it. We didn't have a lot of money, but we did have passion. And uh, I remember thinking, man, how can we get people here and how can we empower people to invite and didn't have money to do a mailer. So uh, we came up with this idea. We had lots of creative ideas, lots of different things we were doing. We had a lot of passion. And one of the things we did, we, we bought, we spent $200, got all these yard signs. It's a little like, you know, like also political yard signs. And we put them all over the city. Then I remember the next day we got a call from the city and we said they had to take them down. And so we didn't have a lot of awareness, but we had a lot of passion and a lot of yard signs. I remember, you know, we were, we were just getting going. And like one of, one of the, uh, this is like six weeks in. We've been meeting six weeks. And we had like 35 people show up in this room. 35, and 35 was kind of a stretch because Marissa was pregnant with Oliver at the time, so I counted her twice. That was a person, and I think some people got up and came back in. I counted them each time they came back in. We had 35 people, and that was, that was a stretch. And We didn't have a lot of people, but we had a lot of passion. But, you know, I remember things started to take off. And things started to grow. People started coming to Christ, and good things were happening, and I remember being in a coffee shop and working on my sermon because didn't have an office and had a lot of passion. I remember working and typing and I heard people talking about our church. I was like, oh man, this is going to be good. I wonder what they're going to say. Obviously, I heard like a lot of good things coming on. They started talking and obviously didn't know me. I'd never been to our church. And so they started saying stuff that was untrue and a lot of not very nice things. And I was just thinking, I remember back to that point, like we didn't have a lot of fans, but we had a lot of passion. And I know that this verse, these words of Jesus were spoken to a different church at a different time a number of years ago. But I hear these words like they're spoken to me. He says, I, I see the progress you've made. I see what you've done. You've done some good things. But I'm wondering... Where's your passion? Where's your passion? And I'm concerned about this because we've taught a lot of people that if you don't feel it, you don't have to do it. But passion isn't proven in a feeling. In fact, I would tell you that you don't even know what passion is until you've passed your feelings. Passion is proven when you can get on your knees like Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he says, I am under pressure. This is not what I want. I don't desire this. Nevertheless, God, not what I want, but what you want. That's passion. Passion isn't a feeling. When you have passion, you'll do it when it's hard. You'll do it when it's fun. 
You'll do it when you're up and you'll do it when you're down. You'll do it when they pay you. You'll do it when they don't. When you have passion, you'll do it. Passion perseveres. That's what I'm trying to say. Passion perseveres. And what got me about this is that Jesus praises their progress. He acknowledges how they've endured. He commends their labor, but he says they lost their love. It's not like they weren't doing anything worthwhile. It's not like they weren't making progress. It's not like they weren't growing. But in the process of making progress, in the process of all their achievements, keeping out false doctrine, eliminating things that didn't need to be there, he says, I see your progress, but my question is, where's your passion? Where's your passion? You've got the prestige, but you've lost the passion. And all of this is kind of pointless if we don't have passion. That's why I'm always going to ask you to engage. That's why I'm always going to ask you to fill up the front. That's why I'm always going to ask you to clap, respond to the sermon, to get involved, to give. That's why I'm always going to ask you to be a part of what God is doing here because all of this is pointless if we don't have passion. The reason we got to have passion in here is because I don't know what kind of hell you went through out there. That's why we got to make it feel like heaven on earth in here. We got to have passion. And I feel like some of us have lost passion for our place. What do you do when you've lost passion for your place? What's interesting about what Jesus said? He said, see everything you've done, but you didn't lose your passion, you just left it. He says, you abandoned your first love. Look at it with me in verse four. He says, I have this against you. You've abandoned the passionate love you had for me at the beginning. You didn't lose it, you left it. You stopped doing the things you did at first. And if you want your passion back today, there's three things in this verse I see. I wanna give you real quick. First thing he says is remember. He says, think back to where you were. Remember from where you fell. Don't regret where you are. Don't be wishing you were someplace else. Remember where you were. Remember why you started. Remember how you got here. Remember how God pulled you out of the miry pit and set your feet on solid ground. You got to remember where you were. He says remember, but then he says repent. A lot of us misunderstand repentance. We think that to repent means to feel remorseful, to mourn something that happened. But repent, very simply, means to change your direction, means to turn around. 
a 180 to repent, to turn. Not living in remorse, not bemoaning where you are, not living in mourning, but change your direction. Remember where you were, repent, change your direction, and then he says, respond. Do the things you did at first. And that's a lot different than the way most of us think about passion. When we think about our passion, we want to feel the things we felt at first. But he doesn't say anything about feeling. He says it's about what you do. You have to respond. You want your passion back? It's about intentional response. Do it. Do it. Do it. You want your passion back? It's not a sensation. It's not a feeling. It's not a personality type. It's a decision. You don't get your passion back by praying for it. God, give me my passion. Help me have passion. Now, you don't get your passion through prayer. You get it through practice. You don't feel grateful? Be grateful. Practice it. You don't feel excited? Be excited. Practice it. You don't feel loving? Be loving. Practice it. You got to practice on purpose. I almost call this sermon practice on purpose. An intentional response. Intentionality, that's just another way of saying purpose. You got to have a purpose. Got to practice on purpose. You want to find your passion, put a purpose on it. Find your purpose, you'll find your passion. You'll recover your passion. The worst advice we might give somebody is to follow your passion. It sounds good, but it is self-destructive because our passion is not our preference and we think our passion is a feeling, but feelings are fickle. And the first time it gets a little rough, your feelings will change. But if you, as Psalm 37, 4 says, do what the Lord wants, he will give you your heart's desire. So what is it God wants from you? Maybe he wants you to engage and be a part of visioneering. Maybe he just wants you to open up your heart to the possibility that where he's placed you he has placed you here on purpose. Maybe it's recognizing that even the things that don't make sense, that you don't understand, that you wish wouldn't have happened, that God can even use that to perform his will in your life. I'm not saying that all the bad things that happen are God's plan. I don't believe that. We know humans make decisions. We know there's evil in the world. It's a broken world. But I am saying, don't limit the level of God's presence in your life to your level of understanding. I want your passion back. It's about an intentional response. Practice on purpose. And watch God show up in your life.